and welcome to the Caring Congregation podcast, where we seek to educate and equip pastors and congregational care ministers to develop and implement congregational care ministry and provide ongoing training and resources to existing care ministries. I'm Reverend Joy Dister Dominguez, and with me today is Reverend DeAndrea Dare and Kathy Lynn for part two of a series on care for those who've experienced a death of a child. And while this is such a difficult conversation, it's one that we all need to have. We need to hear these stories. Pastors, congregational care ministers, laity, uh, we need to hear these stories of, of loss, of tragedy, of such deep sadness, um, so that we can support parents and families uh, who, have, who have experienced this um, terrible loss and tragedy. And out of this, um, we are resurrection people. And so we're talking today about um, the grief and healing that both DeAndrea and Kathy um, have experienced. And DeAndrea actually created a fantastic organization. It's called A Memory Grows. And she's going to talk more about that. It's a 501c3 charitable organization that serves as an outreach to grieving parents and as a resource to hospitals, clinics, hospice groups, churches, and other nonprofit organizations. And their mission is to provide a space of healing and peace for parents who are grieving the death of their child. And it's bringing together those who have experienced a similar loss in a retreat setting, and they honor and celebrate um, their children while making connections with others who truly understand their journey. And um, Kathy actually joined DeAndrea um, at A Memory Grows, and she'll share more of her story of how she got involved. Uh, but DeAndrea, if you would start, um, share a little bit about Max and how this evolved into such a remarkable organization that, that certainly helps so many people. So um, thank you for having us, um, first of all. But uh, my son, Max, um, is my first child. Um, he was born on March 12th, 2013. And he was stillborn due to a placental abruption that happened while I was in the hospital um, being monitored, but when he was not um, being monitored at the same time. Um, from that um moment in which I found out that I had a son when I woke up from surgery um, and I found out that he did not survive. I felt a myriad of emotions, everything from anger um, for the fact that that I was um, still alive and he was not, um, to fear of how um, if this can happen, what else can happen, especially to other people that I love to um, and depth of sadness um, that I'd never experienced in, you know, a dark, what I call pit that I feel like I fell into. Um, and then I felt just incredible joy and love and um, like I never felt before. And if there's a word that I could ever use to describe Max, it is love because that's all he ever knew. And so that is, um, and that love is, is what carries me many, many days. And so um, it has been um, now eight and a half years um, since that moment. And um, he's spoken of every day and remembered and honored and is a part of our family um, in so many uh, different ways now. But it's not the life that I ever could have imagined that I would sure. be living. So out of your uh, deep love for Max, as well as this journey that you traveled, 
you founded a memory grows. Will you tell us a little bit about that and what your work uh, with a memory grows has evolved into? Sure. When uh, Max was, um, when he was placed in my arms uh, for the very first time, I knew that I had to find some kind of community that understood because I just um, was feeling so, so much. And, um, you know, your family and friends and uh, congregation can support you and they can care about you. Um, but there is something different about knowing that someone else has walked this journey and has survived and how in the world they have done that. And so I knew I somehow had to find a, a community and um, that came in many different ways. But um, I went to a retreat with my husband um, about three months after words where we met other families. And then I came back um, home and was still serving a local congregation and um, did, knew that I was not at the place to do anything major at that point. There was no, I did not need to make any changes at all in life because everything had changed, um, you know, that I could ever have fathomed. Um, and so it was about two years later on uh, Max's second birthday that I decided that it was time to um, try to explore how to start a memory grows and run a nonprofit. And so what we did is we, um, you know, began small um, with other lymph infant loss families and then with an older child loss um, retreat. My main purpose was bringing people together that had experienced a similar type of um, journey and story so that they could find community and could be um, who they are, um, where they are, and whatever moment in which we were together. And what we found is that uh, we would enter the doors of a retreat um, as strangers, and we would leave with a bond that um, would last, mm -hmm. you know, a, a lifetime. And we did not know that that's what would happen with the memory grows at all. But um, knowing that there is um, hope, um, knowing that life um can continue and continue in a way that um, speaks your child's name, that shares their story, that honors their life and their legacy, no matter how short or how long we had them, we never could have had them long enough. And that is uh, one of the most important things, I think, for people to understand that, um, that the death of a child is a traumatic event that happens in life. It is a redefining mm -hmm. event in many ways. I think sometimes we think of, um, of traumatic as in a homicide or a car accident or something like that, but any out of order death, um, especially when we are speaking about the death of a child is a traumatic um, uh, event in life. And so um, just to know that there is a community that on the best days, when you want to share memories, no matter what that is, whether that's the moment you found out you were pregnant and you saw those lines on the pregnancy test, you know, or the day that, you know, your child, you know, scored a huge high number on the MCAT, you know, and you want to remember and celebrate that. So the days mm -hmm. where you just don't know if you can go on because the pain is so hard, you have people that can reach out um, and you mm -hmm. can reach out to and who will say their name 
and will remind you that um, we can, you know, together um, keep moving forward. We don't move on by any means. We carry on. Um, we carry mm -hmm. that love. Mm -hmm. Their love carries us. Um, mm -hmm. But it's, there's no magical fix to this, but it is truly a journey. Absolutely. And Kathy, will you share a little bit about Nathan and how you um, became friends with DeAndrea and obviously working uh, with the Memory Grows as well? Yes. So um, Nathan was uh, diagnosed with a glioblastoma multiform, which is very aggressive malignant brain cancer when he was seven. Um, he lived for 10 months um, after that, and um, he passed away June 3rd, 2016. Um, and it was during our, our time with him during his battle, especially towards the end when he was on hospice care, I was so focused on his hospice care and knowing what, knowing what was going to happen, even knowing that the last person I would have wanted to have talked to is somebody who lost a child at that time, because we still weren't quite there yet. So I purposefully just kept myself away from that. In fact, I'll have people reach out to me now sometimes and say, oh, my you know cousin has a friend whose daughter has cancer. Can they talk to you? And I say, I'm happy to talk to anybody, but if it were me, I wouldn't have wanted to talk to somebody whose child died. Um, not mm -hmm. at that point. So that was, point. that was a great strategy for myself at the time. However, when he died, then all of a sudden I was left with the same kind of question, same kind of um, questions and, and needs that DeAndrea said she had. She wanted to surround herself with people who had been there because you I felt like I was very experienced cancer mom at that time, but I had no idea what to do as the mom of a child who died um, because I just, I had not let myself go there or think that. And mm -hmm. um, so I felt the same way. I, I actively was searching out people who had experienced that to show me that life could continue because I wasn't sure what that looked like and, and how you do that. So um Deand I was actually a part of uh, DeAndrea's congregation at um, the church she served when Max died. And um, I'm talk about misconceptions on people's part is I didn't know DeAndrea that well, um, but I knew what happened. And in my mind of being someone who had never lost a child before, I thought she is a, you know, she's a minister. She is a clergy. She, if anybody, this is a horrible thing that has happened, but if anyone if anyone can do this, it's going to be, it's going to be DeAndrea. She's, you know, she's got the tools to do this and she did, but it was devastating. And that was not the part, sure. that was the part I guess sure. I didn't appreciate um, at that time. And um, mm -hmm. so I think sometimes we think people, uh, it's not going to be as hard for people who we see as so strong and so knowledgeable. And it's just mm -hmm. as hard. It's, as hard, it's, it's devastating to anybody. So, yeah. um, so DeAndre actually reached out to me and, um, and just said, Hey, um, uh, I heard about Nathan and, and she had known about what was going on, but after he died, she reached out and she said, I, I heard about Nathan and I want you to know, I understand. And she was the first person. I, other people had shared that they had lost a child, but she was the first person that kind of opened up that to be a conversation about, <laughs> I'm here if you need to talk about this. And 
um, and, and a memory grows had just started and, um, she, uh, invited me to, you know, participate and told me what she was doing. That wasn't the purpose of her communication. I'm not even sure she shared that the first time we talked, but that came out as we continued to talk. Uh, later. And um, so I started showing up at a Memory Grows events. <laughs> I think the first thing I did was a, a Mother's Day retreat. It was just a one day retreat. And mm-hmm. and then my husband and I attended the first older child cancer loss retreat um, that that she had. There was only three of three families there and our families couldn't have been more different as far as as uh, just the makeup of our families. My husband was the only male at the retreat. Mm-hmm. Um and DeAndrea was worried, I find out later, worried to death about how that was all going to, to work out. And it was beautiful and it was powerful mm. and it meant the world to us. And it was, there was just three families, but all of us had been treated at the same hospital and had had similar, our stories were different, but um, our cancer stories were very similar. And um, so anyway, that was a fantastic experience for us. And uh, so then I kept a memory goes, does things throughout the year, not just retreats, but, and I was showing up at everything. <laughs> and I think DeAndrea finally decided that she needed to give me something to do because <laughs> <laughs> sure. I was always around. And so <laughs> DeAndrea decided she needed help. Fill that role. Well, and in a memory yeah. grows growing, and she had a vision of it growing. Like she said, it started yeah. with infant loss. It grew to offering older child loss. Um, you know, we she saw a need for suicide loss and mm-hmm. adult child loss, and so all of that was getting it. It was growing, and and she did need to, uh, some help. So I was very honored that she asked me and, um, I immediately said, yes, didn't even have to think about it. Cause I too had been thinking I needed a way to honor Nathan. I had friends that had ideas, very mm-hmm. wonderful friends that had been super helpful. They had plans and ideas about what we could do to honor Nathan. And they were not things I felt real comfortable doing. I, I appreciated the honor. Uh, I appreciated that they wanted to honor him that way. Um, but it wasn't stuff when we would do the stuff, it would stress me out <laughs> more than it would. And, but doing stuff with um, a memory grows always made me feel better and being able to take the experience of our loss and, 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 and turn that and try to help other people with that. So um, I'm the volunteer coordinator for memory grows and it has been, and anyone who knows DeAndrea knows it's, it's an incredible blessing to, to work with her and, um, to have our friendship um, and, and that our boys are friends too. And and that's how we think about them, you know, and we don't think about it, them and the loss that we had. I mean, that is a part of what we think about, but we like to think about them um, now and what they're doing together, you know, and absolutely. Absolutely. That's beautiful. Thanks for joining us for today's podcast. We hope that you find this informative. If you would like additional resources, please check out our website, thecaringcongregation.com. Also, we have our national webinar that's coming up in the spring, February 25th and 26th, that will be an online format. Be sure to share this podcast, like it, and uh, give us a review. And now back to this episode. One of the common themes of both of your stories, and I encourage listeners to go back and listen to part one, 
um, where, where both of you share your stories in detail, but throughout your stories, you talk about community. And I want to dive a little bit deeper into the community you felt um, from your church. Um, what was helpful? What was not helpful? Um, our listeners, you know, we have got a variety of, of people listening and this will be very important to um, to them to know what should I be saying? What should I not be saying? What should I be doing? What should I not be doing? Um, what, what advice would you give? There are um, so many kind of levels to, or layers, I should say, to, to that. Um, I think that we are trained in our culture in a lot of ways to, you know, immediately when there is a death of any kind that, you know, casseroles are, um, mm -hmm. you know, immediately given. And that is a good thing. Do not hear me downplay that because I probably would not have consumed food um, because I couldn't make decisions um, at all and nothing sounded good. And I would have just preferred to have not um, had any kind of nourishment in me at all. Mm -hmm. And the church mm -hmm. um, was there. And I, I was not at a place where I could see people after um, Max's service. And so they dropped it off at the church and my husband would go pick it up um, because I just could not outwardly process or speak at that time because I was in so much uh, pain. I had a long physical sure. recovery as well from the placental abruption. And so it wasn't just me trying to um, be a hermit. It was um, both a physical, mental, spiritual, emotional um, journey that I was on. Um, those who um, were able to come and sit with me on days that were really, really dark. Um, my, my parents, um, thankfully, were able to stay for quite some time. And then um, the true gifts um, were the ones who appeared and could sit with me and just let me ramble or talk about how cute um, he was, you know, or um, how I hoped whatever it was that I was hoping for on that day or how, you know, sad I was. And they never offered really words um, at all. Every now and then, if it was another parent whose child had died and they would affirm what I said by saying me too, that helped pull me out of the depths of feeling like I was just absolutely going insane. Um, but their presence was the absolute greatest gift that they um, could have given me. Um, people speaking um, Max's name, and I know that those who speak Nathan's name, um, and acknowledging his um, being, um, acknowledging his continued um, existence as a part of me and my family um, is just the greatest greatest gift. And recently somebody um, was leaving in a memory grows re retreat and they said to me, thank you for this weekend and thank you to Max. And I was able to continue to stand, but I wanted to just like hug the guy and just fall yeah. into a puddle, say, thank yeah. you, you said his name, you know, and, yeah. and there were others that, you know, just, um, they just found caring ways uh, whether it was cards that I didn't open for months because there were so many, but, you know, ways to share their own stories 
but also just to be present. Um, I think the the things that, you know, um, happened after the death of anyone in our culture, but it does seem to be exacerbated when it is an out-of-order death, mm-hmm. is that um, society, and I do believe the church is a huge part of this, um, expects you to pick up, you have your time of grief, that maybe is a month or so, and then you just get back to being who you are or who you were. Sure. And there's never going back. And there's right. not a great understanding that um, mm-hmm. the Deandrea before 2013 um, was optimistic and full of loudness mm-hmm. and, you know, joy and everything. And then Deandrea, you know, after March 12th, 2013, was in a pretty dark space. Um, it, it took about six months for I, what I describe as the dark clouds to part a little and for me to see mm-hmm. that there was a little bit of light. And then um, to continue, you know, journeying forward, um, mm-hmm. it's you know, a, a one step forward, 12 step back kind of thing. It's not this instantaneous, just, mm-hmm. oh my goodness, she's back to being who she was. And now, sure. you know, eight and a half years later, Sure, I laugh really loud, and life is so, so beautiful um, again, Mm -hmm. and there is joy, and there is optimism, but there is also a real dose of reality. Um, There is anxiety that I don't think will ever go away that came Mm -hmm. about um, Mm -hmm. after, you know, we had to say goodbye to him. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's a, it's a balance. And I talk about it, sure. memory grows, how um, you look at, I don't, I would not ever tell a parent that it gets better. Um, but I say that it becomes a balancing time. And I think about mm-hmm. a scale that has two, you know, weights and, um, mm-hmm. In the very beginning, you're so, so raw and and the scale is tipped where all you can see is the pain sure. and the hurt and the darkness. And then with time, that other side, which is the side of love, comes up and you're able mm-hmm. to, it bubbles up to the surface. And it and in some days, you actually find that that love tips the scale all the way up to the top. And then, you know, there's holidays and birthdays and milestone sure. days. Yes. And so, you know, the scale, you know, tilts back and forth mm-hmm. and sometimes mm-hmm. jiggles, you know, and everything. And it becomes a kind of balancing act of mm-hmm. honoring the beauty and the sacredness of life um, while also still holding sacred, you know, the pain as well. Sure. And not um, not allowing that to um, to overtake you um but allowing yourself to be present with both because life Mm -hmm. is beautiful it's also bittersweet it's Mm -hmm. hard and it has you know just some incredible you know moments of of beauty Mm -hmm. as well Mm -hmm. and it's messy I think you're absolutely right when you say our society like we just want to move on and a lot of times like this, like, like you said, something huge monumental happens in, in your life and we don't move on. We don't move on from those big tragedies, those big losses. 
And I think also when you said about having those days, some days are good, some days are bad. I think it's, we have to be aware of where people are in their journey and be sensitive to this is just not a good day. This is not a good day. And we have to respect those boundaries. Um, Because I can imagine even six months, a year, two years, five years after, there are some really, really difficult days. And you just, you're not able to do certain things or have hard conversations or go somewhere on those really difficult days. And, and we, as a church, we need to honor and respect those boundaries. Um, So thank you. Thank you for sharing those things. You know, I think that what we're talking about, about how we just kind of expect that grief to be in a way, a one and done sort of, sort of thing. And when grief is a journey and a process instead that, that, I mean, literally, has to be embraced in some ways, because if you don't process the grief, mm-hmm. you can't find ways sure. to, to sit with it. You know, it, it reappears or it comes Absolutely. out at some mm-hmm. point um, in other mm-hmm. ways. And so um, there's this quote that says, um, the fundamental problem is that grief will wait for us, especially traumatic grief, Though if asked to wait for too long, it often changes form, sometimes becoming toxic and poisoning to our very souls. And so, you know, Mm, I think that church and families and friends need to recognize that grief is incredibly hard and that it's exhausting. But in processing it um, and being present with it, um, there is another side that will... um, will appear and that you will, Mm -hmm. you know, find yourself in. Whereas if you just sweep it under the rug or close Mm -hmm. the door on it or whatever metaphor you want to want to use, um, it will come back out. And, um, it often comes out in the form of, of, you know, addictions and, and Mm -hmm. other traumatic things that cause even more pain Mm -hmm. and suffering. And so cause pain to others. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's hard to be present with someone um, who's Mm -hmm. grieving and who can't Mm -hmm. see any light. And, um, you know, there's lots of uh, little quippy platitudes that the church has used for so long that are not helpful and who that are often hurtful. And so we need to lean into the fact of being with one another, however that is, um, and allowing that space because there is a sacredness um, in that and um, a holy, holy space where I think that thin veil between heaven and earth often becomes even more, more thin. So. Sure. Absolutely. That's perfect. And I would well, I was the, the, when DeAndre brought up platitudes, um, I think, I I think about during our time church, obviously we, appreciated and loved our church community so much. And they were so helpful with everything they did. But one of the hardest places to go into for me was to go into the church. And in fact, we didn't. We were very, so very involved from afar, but I couldn't go. And I think Mm -hmm. like going into the school was different. It was a bunch of kids who treated him like he was just, I, I know they knew something was going on, but he was still Nathan, you know, just Nathan. When we would go into church, I felt you you get the sympathetic looks that can just mm. 
be so hard to bear that because yeah. you know everybody's feeling sorry for you and you yeah. don't want to yeah. that everybody's sure. feeling sorry for but everybody knows your story everybody's praying for you in their Sunday school classes and, and at church to me anyway that was it was I couldn't do it I it was exhausting to me to go and it I I didn't I was thankful throughout Nathan's journey, I did not struggle with my faith. So that wasn't the reason I couldn't go, but I couldn't go because I felt like that it took too much out of me. Uh, and um, I, I never even talked to Nathan about it. So I don't, I don't think he would have felt that way, but I, to me, I, I just couldn't do it. And um, I think, um, again, we got so much support, but some things that you, especially here at church and not just at church, but anybody, people of faith will tell you all the time, we're praying for healing. And I learned mm. that I will never say that again to somebody yeah, um, because yeah. I didn't want Nathan to hear that. We prayed together all the time. Um, and when I would pray with him, we'd pray for his doctors. We would pray for his nurses. We would pray that his body was responding to his treatment, but we never once prayed for healing because I didn't want him to think God didn't hear that prayer and, yeah, and didn't answer yeah. that prayer. And I didn't think he was old enough to understand the intricacies of prayer and answers and <laughs> things like sure. that. When people, and I know they were very well-meaning, but it's, you know, or, or that God is good, you know, um, people, when things would go positive, I would post things on Facebook and a, a common response was God is good. And, and they're right. God is good, but you sure, need to follow sure. that with God is good all the time in the good and in the bad. And um, sure. it's not, it makes it almost seem like, you know, there's some kind of qualification to it that, okay, God yeah. is good in this circumstance, but what happens when you do have to start hospice care? Did you do something wrong, you know, that made God right. turn away and, and let this terrible thing happen? And so mm -hmm. um, I found that in the, that, that was something I struggled with and uh, a lot. <laughs> yeah. Well, because words matter and how we respond, um, it, it, they can, they can, cut like a sword or they can provide um, a sense of support and affirmation in the pain you're in. Yes. And I think that's so important. What advice would you give to people when they just feel like, I, I don't know what to say? Like, <laughs> I don't know what to say. I haven't had a theological education like you have, DeAndrea, or um, they haven't been through this. What do you say to people when they don't know what to say? I say, say that. Mm -hmm. Say, I feel um, you know, I wish there were words that I could say, I don't know what to say, but mm -hmm. um, if you need something, I'm here to listen, but I don't yes. have the words and just be honest with it. I think sitting with somebody mm -hmm. in silence is a, is such a gift, yeah. you know, to be able the ministry to of that. presence. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. So one thing that I've trying to make everything okay, cause you can't, yeah, there's, yeah, no exactly. There's no words, so exactly. One thing that I've always appreciated about you, Kathy, um, are, is your vulnerability in allowing us into your grief and your processing. So you started writing on Facebook. Um, will you share a little bit about how the writing and um, just being vulnerable with all of us who um, were, were on this journey with you, but not necessarily uh, intimately connected with you? 
Right. Well, it sort of it started as sort of a necessity of communication when he was in the hospital and first starting things. Um, it was a way to contact everybody and give them progress progress reports on Nathan. And then, um, and that's pretty much how it continued, you know, through his treatment. And it was a way to just keep people posted and to make sure the right information got out about him. Um, and, and to sort of control the narrative of what was out there um, and sure. that he was doing. We weren't sitting around crying and feeling sorry for ourselves. We were living life to its fullest. And I wanted everybody to know that and that he was doing really well. And then um, more after he, during his decline and after his death, it it was still that kind of same purpose I want. I didn't want people trying to make up or fill in the blanks of what we were going through. And I just felt like um, Mm. they had been on that journey with us already. And, and that they, if they were still following us and still cared, then they needed, then, then I could be brutally honest with them about what was going on. And, um, and I, in the process, so I started it as a way to sort of protect myself and to protect Nathan and our family. And in the process, I found that it was therapeutic to me to be able to, to write and to express myself and to say these things. And it would feel sometimes like I had something bubbling up inside um, about something I wanted to say about the more after he passed than before, um, but just about what we were going through. And I would find that if I would write it down, it was such a release of that as being able to express Mm -hmm. it and say what, what I, what I felt. Um, And, and thankfully had very receptive audience to it. And through it, I've been able to, I realized there were lots of things that were not helpful that people would say. And um, that that was my opportunity to educate people too, as to um, what what helps me, what doesn't help me. Um, you know, something you hear with child loss of any type is I just can't imagine. And and the mm, truth is, sure. people can't imagine. They just Obviously, you don't, don't want, want to, to. it's horrifying. Yep. So um, yeah. putting it down on paper yeah. makes that, it's like, okay, you don't have to imagine this is, this is actually what it is, you know, and this is how it is. And, sure. and I also think then it also, I don't want Nathan's life. I, I, I don't, I know you don't want Max's life defined by the circumstances of their death. Um, they sure. brought so much more to this world. Yes. And, Um, I wanted to control that narrative too, to make it clear to everybody that he was way more than a a kid with cancer. And and that's how he became known to a lot of people. And he put up a a very courageous fight, but he was silly and goofy and he wasn't perfect. (laughs) He got in trouble sometimes. (laughs) He was... (laughs) Love the beach. I love those pictures of him at the beach. Yeah. He, he was a normal kid who had to deal with a a very abnormal situation, but, um, you know, there wasn't, I think sometimes people feel protected when they think, Mm -hmm. Oh, look at him. He was an amazing child. Right. Because, because, and something like that could never happen to my child because they're not as strong as Nathan was. I'm not as strong as Kathy or DeAndrea. I'm, I couldn't deal with that. And it's, you feel sort of safe then. Like I would never be given Mm -hmm. that challenge. And, and the reality is anything, these things can happen to any of us and it's not, we didn't sign up to have a child with cancer. You know, we didn't say mm-hmm. we'll be the brave ones who take the little boy with the brain tumor. We, we didn't do that. Sure. And, um, we have no choice. Yeah. You're not given a choice. Yeah. And as a parent, yep. 
then that's your job as a parent to adapt and, and mm-hmm. you can not and like it's it. our job. Yep, exactly. And it, it's our job as, as the body of Christ to walk alongside um, people who are going through these incredibly difficult tragedies. And um, I'm so grateful that a uh, memory grows has uh, this opportunity to, um, to form this community. And I want, uh, I want to share also, you've got a remarkable resource page and a resources page, and I'm going to link that um, in our show notes. Will you talk a little bit about um, some of the, maybe some of the resources that people um, can find and ways that they can, can reach out to get involved? Sure. I, I think that, you know, the, the most important thing to realize is that um, death doesn't end um, in love um, and that death does not end the relationship between a parent and a child. And so just because you cannot see them or touch them um, does not mean that they are um, a smaller part of your life or not a part of your life at all. They are still very much a part of, um, of our lives. And so, you know, we're moving into a time, um, thankfully where it's a little bit more accepted to speak the child's name and to find rituals that include them, um, and ways to continue to parent, um, them. And so I desperately needed a way to be Max's parent and to be his mom. And, you know, you can't, take, you know, I couldn't take him to the zoo or to the park or do all the things that I thought I would, um, you know, do t-ball and things like that. But what I could do is, you know, speak his name. And this is the way, A Memory Grows is the way that I've found that I, um, that I can parent him in a way that I spend time with him. And I do have two other children now, and I spend time with them, you know, every day chasing them around and trying to control the situation, um, whatever that <laughs> sure. may be. But, um, but you know, my, my time with A Memory Grows and Kathy and all the amazing parents and um, it is the way that I, I spend that time with Max. And I didn't know what life was going to look like. I didn't really want it to um, keep on going because I didn't know how to do that. But I promised him that I would try to live for both of us. And so... Mm. Um, that's a promise that I still try to live up to every day. And some days I do better than others, but, um, the way that, you know, how do you do that is different for everybody. And so there are lots of, um, resources out there for people that want to know how to, I, how do I support my friend whose child has died? It's as easy as Googling, um, that exact question, because there are, incredible resources out there. There are articles that are uh, published. Uh, Still Standing Magazine is a great one, um, both written from the perspective of um, parents whose children have died, grandparents who are walking the journey with their children who have had a child that has died, Um, friends, um, you know, who are trying to figure out how to be present, Um, all types of of, people. death um, circumstances um, are on there as well. Grief Watch is another great organization and one that's called uh, Watch Your Grief. It's not just child loss, 
but they mm-hmm. um, do a lot of education as well as um, blogs and resources um, as well. Um, music is a deep, deep um, healer of one's soul, I think. Absolutely. And so um, there are lots of um, songs out there. Some for some religious hymns are very helpful for others. Um, you know, Ed Sheeran's new song, uh, Visiting Hours, is one that'll take you to the core um, of sure. about, you know, visiting with the one that, that you can no longer, you know, talk to aloud. Mm-hmm. And so um, there's just all kinds of, of different resources, but there are lots of support groups. And thanks to COVID, believe it or not, there are now support groups where you do not have to leave your home. And if you don't mm-hmm. feel like going out, you can still click a button and find a community. And so I just encourage people, you know, to it, not everything's for everyone, but whether it's music, whether it's journaling, whether it's doing crafts, whether it's walking or running, um, there are productive ways to express and process our grief. And that is the most important thing because grief mm-hmm. can take you down a road that is destructive and, um, and it does not have to be that way with um, the right resources with, um, I believe everybody in the world needs a, needs a therapist. I think the world would be a much better place if we had that. Um, and with that, you know, sacred space that I believe the church can truly offer um, if we would be still um, for a while and not let our words um, run before us, but truly to be present with one another. So I hope that helps. That's beautifully said. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you both for sharing. I will link in the show notes, memorygrows.org, also with the resources page. And I encourage you to go to the website, check it out. And um, there's also a place that you can donate as well to help sponsor parents that need to, to come to the retreats in order to be surrounded by a community of love. So with that, I would uh, just encourage everyone to go back. If you haven't listened to the part one, please go back, listen to the story of Max and Nathan, um, two boys that are uh, so precious uh, to our God and to so many in this community. So thank you. Thank you both. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for today's podcast. These are such tender, beautiful stories, and we're so grateful to have you here. Be sure to join us next Tuesday morning as we have a brand new podcast drop about care with children and caregivers. Be sure to like and subscribe and share this with your pastors and your neighbors and friends, anyone who may find this helpful. Until then, check out our website, thecaringcongregation.com, for additional resources and information. And now, may God bless you and keep you.